Take your Bible tonight and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. As we continue our series on parenting. I wonder how many of you ever heard the saying, I'm sure you have, what you are speaks so loud that the world can't hear what you say. How many of you ever heard that? Probably most, if not all. I remember hearing that when I was a young Christian. And it made a great impression upon me. Now we need to say things. We need to speak. We need to talk to people. But the simple truth is that what you are speaks so loud, the world can't hear what you say. If, the idea of that statement is, if what you're saying with your life doesn't back up what you're saying with your lips. That concept is very, very important in parenting. What you are speaks very, very loud to your children. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to read to you beginning in verse 10 down through verse 12 because I want you to see something of the context here. Moses knows by this time that he is not going to go into the promised land. He's lost that opportunity. But he is speaking to the people of Israel about the fact that they are going to go into the promised land and he is very concerned for them about what's going to happen to their children as they go into that land of promise. And beginning in verse 10 we read, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggedest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantedest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Moses was saying to these people, you are going to go to this promised land. And when you get to the promised land, you're going to drive out the nations that are there. And as you drive out these nations and push them back, you are going to take over their houses. You're going to take over their vineyards. You're going to take over their wells. You are going to inherit from these people great prosperity. He said, when that happens, beware, lest you forget the Lord your God. Now the warning that Moses gave to the people of Israel is a warning that is appropriate for us because we have inherited tremendous prosperity. No matter how discouraged you and I are with this country, one thing we know, it still stands out as the country where everybody in the world would like to live. And as discouraged as we are, I don't know anybody in this room who says, well, you know, I'm seriously considering changing my citizenship and going to some other place. This is a land that has known the blessing of God. This is an, a land that has known incredible wealth, and every single one of us shares in the wealth. But not one of us paid the price to make this nation great. We have inherited the prosperity. Tragically, as we inherited the prosperity, we have fallen into the very trap that Moses warned the people of Israel about. We, as a generation, 
have in fact forgotten God. Now Moses said that to them because he wanted to make sure they didn't forget God. And so we want to consider some of the things tonight that Moses said. We will not exhaust this context, but we want to consider some of the things he said tonight because no matter how far this world goes and no matter how far this country goes in the wrong direction, listen, Mom and Dad, your children don't have to forget God. And if we will learn the lesson and get serious about the lesson that Moses had for the people of Israel, then while the world and perhaps much of the church goes the wrong direction, by the grace of God, our family can go the right direction. But a great part of that, as we'll see tonight, is what you are as a parent. Let's pray together before we go any further. Our Father, we ask you to minister to us tonight, uh, to challenge our hearts, uh, to cause us to take an honest look at ourselves. And Father, we pray that as we do, if we find ourselves wanting, if we find our testimony weak, that we might do what is necessary to strengthen it and make it right, not only for the sake of our own walk with thee, but for the sake of our children and our grandchildren and beyond, should Jesus tarry. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look with me at the first verse of this chapter, where Moses said, Now these are the commandments the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. Now, I want to pause there for a moment because I want you to think with me about what Moses just said. He's talking to the adults of Israel. And he says to them, now listen, here's the commandments and the statutes that God has given and he has given them to you that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. He was saying to the adults, it is absolutely critical for you if we are going to save your children, if your children are not going to forget God, then it is absolutely critical for you as a parent that you do, that you live the word of God. The concept of example is what Moses is getting at, and there is nothing more foundational to parenting than example. I want you to think with me of the New Testament statement about salvation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Many of you could quote it. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I want you to think about that. That verse does not say, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he ought to be a new creature. It doesn't say that. It says he is a new creature. It doesn't say that old things ought to pass away. It says old things do pass away. It doesn't say all things ought to become new. It says all things do become new. In other words, what Paul was trying to get across was this simple truth. 
When somebody gets saved, their life changes. Now, you study the Bible and you'll find out that the New Testament allows for the fact that sometimes people get discouraged and sometimes people backslide and some people have trouble and so on. But in spite of all that, there is still this foundational message. When the God of heaven saves your life, the God of heaven changes your life. When he forgives your sin and brings you into his family, there is a radical and dramatic change that ought to be evident to everybody. And the simple truth is, the Bible doesn't teach really any other kind of salvation. The Bible doesn't teach a salvation that saves your soul and doesn't affect your life. It just doesn't teach that. Now, if we bring that truth back into this Old Testament setting, what Moses was basically saying to, to these adults of Israel was, hey, listen, your children need to see the reality of your salvation being lived out in your life every single day. Sometimes young people make statements like this. They'll say, you know, my dad is different at home than he is in church. My dad's different at home. You see my dad come to church, and when my dad comes to church, he carries his Bible and he sings songs, and maybe he takes the offering or serves communion or holds an office or teach, teaches a class or whatever it might be, and you see my dad in this setting. But my dad's not the same at home as he is here. He's different. You see my dad at his best. But my dad's different at home. Now, Dad, Mom, if we want to lose our children, that's a good way to do it. To allow them to watch us come into this setting and put on our best and then go home and live before them a totally different kind of testimony. That's how we lose kids. The cry of hypocrisy is the cry of young people many times against their parents. Now, other people may fail our children, but I'll come back to this a hundred times over. Mom and dad can't fail their children. Mom and dad have to demonstrate the reality of salvation. Kids ought to be able to look at their parents and say, my dad really knows God, and my dad lives for God. And they ought to be able to say the same thing about mom. My mom loves God. My mom lives for God. Now, what needs to happen is this. You and I need to get very serious about following this book when it tells us how to live. Fundamentalism or Bible-believing Christianity, whatever you want to call it, cannot simply get away with saying, we believe the Bible. If we're real Christians, we're supposed to live the Bible. And that means find out what it says and do what it says so that your children can see the reality of it in your life. Let's take a couple of examples. And my, there are many that we could turn to, but one of my favorite books, and I hope one of yours, is the book of Proverbs. It'll tell you how to live. It's a book of practical wisdom. It will meet you every day where you live. It will meet you in the trials and troubles of life, and it will tell you, hey, in this situation, here's what to do. The question is whether or not we'll do it. Look, for instance, at Proverbs 11 and verse 13, and please hold your place in Deuteronomy. But in Proverbs 11, 
and the 13th verse, we read an interesting challenge. It says, A tale-bearer revealeth secrets. Now, do we want to be one of those? A tale-bearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Now, that's a pretty interesting challenge, isn't it, for life? Because we live in a world where people love to bear tales. They love to tell the story, not the gospel story, the latest story. But we're warned here that it's the tale bearer who reveals secrets. But here's the man of a faithful spirit. The man of a faithful spirit doesn't have to tell everything. He conceals the matter. He conceals the matter. Now, you and I face how many situations where there's a story to tell? And, and we want to tell it. We want to pass it on. And the Bible stands before us and says, now, wait a minute. Good, solid Christianity is reflected in the person who says, I'm just going to hide it. I'm not going to tell it. I'm going to keep it to myself. Children are watching. Your children are watching. My children are watching. What do they see? Look at Proverbs 14. In Proverbs 14 and verse 15. We read, the simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Now, in simple terms, that means this. The simple person, the gullible person, believes everything he hears. However, the prudent man says, wait a minute, I just can't believe everything I hear. I have to look into the thing. I've got to look into a situation. I've got to find out the truth. I can't simply react on the basis of the first thing I hear. I need to look into it and find out what truth is before I not react but respond. Now, do our children see us with that attitude? Or look down at verse 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Are we slow to wrath? as parents? Do our children see that in us? Things go wrong, but, but we're not quick to wrath. We're slow to wrath, which manifests to our child, you know, my dad is a man of great understanding because he's not a reactionary person. He's not somebody who blows his top and loses his temper. Watch my dad because when there's a time when he might be wrathful, he's, he's very slow to respond. He that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. How many times have our children seen us be hasty of spirit and then do dumb things? Say the wrong thing, act the wrong way, respond in a terrible way that only exalts folly. Or how about Proverbs 18 and verse 13? Not too much different than what we just saw back in verse 15 of chapter 14. 
Verse 13 of chapter 18 says, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Dad, may I? No. But, no. But Dad, you didn't even get a chance to tell me? No. But Dad, you answered me, you didn't hear what I was asking. No. But Dad, I was going to ask you if I could give you this $1,000 I just found. <laughs> Sometimes we as parents, we answer matters before we hear it. We don't hear our kids out. Sometimes men don't hear their wives out. and Moms don't hear their children out or dads out or whatever it is. We just react and we just respond and we don't take time again to, to really hear. Now, there are obviously dozens of verses in the book of Proverbs, but listen. Our Christianity, if it's genuine, ought to be this. That I get into that book and say, what's that book tell me about living today? What's that book tell me about responding to problems and responding to criticism or responding to situations or whatever? What does that book tell me to do? And am I doing it? Because that's what Moses was saying to the people of Israel. You get into the promised land and the commandments and the statutes that I've given you, do it! Do it. And so God has entrusted to us, who are parents, children. And our children are supposed to be able to watch us every day do it. Do the Word of God. That's parenting. Parenting is not simply telling the kids, do this and do that and sit down and go there and make sure you're on time for dinner, get the bed made. Parenting is not just that. Parenting, as we'll see as we go along, is this. God gave you to me. Now watch me, and I'll show you how to live. Watch me, I'll show you how to live. Verse 2 of Deuteronomy 6 takes the challenge a little bit further when it says this, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged. Moses said to these people, listen, you are to fear the Lord. Do we? Someone described the fear of the Lord in these terms. I've used this definition for years. The wholesome dread of displeasing God. That's the fear of the Lord. There is a dread of displeasing Him. I don't want to displease God. I dread the thought. Now that's wholesome. It's not bad. That's a good thing. That's the fear of the Lord. Now the challenge is this. Do our children, when they look at us, see in us the fear of the Lord? Do our children see this in us? Hey, listen, you know my dad? My dad doesn't care what people think about him. But my dad sure cares what God thinks about him. He doesn't fear people, doesn't fear what they think or say or whatever. He fears God. He lives for God. That's what matters. That's what matters. That's what's supposed to matter. It's not that you go through life moment by moment, scared to death, as it were, of God. 
I, I liken the fear of the Lord to a little boy who has been bad all day long, and now Dad's coming home, and he knows he has to answer to Dad. And all of a sudden, he is dreading seeing his dad. Now, if everything had been going right all day, he'd love to see his dad. But he's dreading facing his dad because he knows what he has done, and he's answerable to dad. You and I should go through life rejoicing in the Lord, but dreading it when all of a sudden we know that we have walked away from him and done the wrong thing, and now we answer to him. The fear of the Lord. Would you notice in verse 3 it says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath, hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. What was Moses saying? He was saying, Israel, now you listen. If you will do what I told you, if you will obey the Bible, and if you will fear the Lord, then this is what will happen. It will go well with you, and you will increase mightily. Did that happen to Israel? They didn't do so well. Is it happening in Christian families today? Is it going well with the average Christian family? Are Christian families increasing mightily? I don't think so. I don't think so. Christian churches are weak, too often because Christian families are weak. And Christian families are weak because parents are not providing the leadership that is necessary for children to follow. And that's what has to happen among us. That we might increase mightily. That this church will be marked in the days ahead by young people growing up, loving the Lord that mom and dad love, serving the Lord that mom and dad serve that there might be a mighty increase, not simply from without people getting saved and coming in, but from within, that not one young person of this church family will grow up and choose the way of the Lord or the way of the world, but rather will choose the way of the Lord. Look at verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Israel, parents, love the Lord with everything that you are. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And make sure your children can recognize that. It's interesting, as you know, that in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus was questioned about what is the first and greatest commandment. And when he responded to that question, he did not go to any of the Ten Commandments or any of the rest of the commandments. There were a total of some 613 commandments that came down from Mount Sinai, but the Lord Jesus didn't go to any one of them. He went to this. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, love God. Interesting that when that statement, that quotation by the Lord Jesus was brought into the New Testament, 
Do you know what term the Spirit of God used for love? It was that term we heard sung about this morning, agape, love. A term that, again, is not related so much to emotion, but is related to giving. It is related to sacrifice. And so when the challenge of the Scriptures is this, you are to love God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul. What's it mean? It means that your life and my life is to be a life of sacrifice toward Him. That's what it means to love Him. It doesn't mean, oh, I just, I love God. Oh, I have such good feelings about God. It's nice to have good feelings. But you and I don't always have good feelings. And may our feelings not be the measure of our love for Him. To love Him means to sacrifice, means to give. And that's the challenge. You are to sacrifice your life for God. Now think with me of another challenge from the New Testament where that same term agape is used, but in a totally different setting. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Same word for love, agape. So when the Bible says to you and to me, don't love this world, it again has nothing to do with feelings. It's talking about sacrifice. It's talking about what you give yourself for. And the challenge of John is this. Don't sacrifice yourself for this world. You know, the world puts a lot of demands on people, doesn't it? The world and the world system wants to run your life. It wants to take your life. It wants to use you up for its purposes. And the challenge of the scriptures is this. Don't you sacrifice yourself for this world. You sacrifice yourself for God. The Lord Jesus no doubt had that same challenge in mind when he said to us, lay not up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. And then he said this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He said, Christian, show me your treasure. Show me what you've been investing your life in. Show me what you're doing with your life. Because no matter what you say with your lips, if I find your treasure, I'll find your heart. What a challenge. Now, the simple truth is, I submit to you, your children know, and my children know, what we love. Now, suppose we went around the room and we said, look, hey, let's make a list. Everybody make a list of what's really important to you. Make your list and hand it in. I wonder what you put on the list. Probably the average Christian would, well, I'll tell you what's important to me, God, the Bible, the church, prayer. I think most of us would put on the list what we know ought to be important to us. But it would be interesting, having gathered that list from all of us who are parents, if we then went to our children and we said, okay, now would you please make a list of what you think is important to your parents? You've watched them live. You watch how they conduct their lives. Would you please make a list of what you think is important to your parents? Now, I wonder if the two lists would match up. I wonder how we'd do. I wonder if our kids would say, God? 
God's not important to my dad. My dad doesn't live for God. My dad goes to church. But I sure wouldn't put God at the top of my dad's list. All those other things that are important to dad. Now, see, the whole concept is this. You only get so much time to live. You get, the Bible says, about 70 years, three score and ten, according to Moses in Psalm 90. He said, by reason of strength, you might get four score. You might get 80. But he said, that's basically all you get. You get about 70 or 80 years to live here. Translate that into days, you get about 25,500 days. And the point is, you and I get up every morning and we use up one of those days. We take that little segment of time and we invest it in something. What? Now we have to go to work. But is that what we're really investing our life in? Or is work for you an avenue by which you can tell others about Christ and live for him? But every day, you see, whatever you do with that day, you've taken a little segment of life and you've sacrificed it. A little portion of your time on this earth and you have invested it in something. Earthly treasure. Heavenly treasure. That's the whole idea. And your children know. Your children know. And that's why sometimes we as parents can go through our life and with our lips we're telling everybody, I love God, I live for God, I serve God. And our children watch and say, my, dad, my dad's not serious about that stuff. And so they grow up and they go another direction. And the reason why is because they have seen through the testimony of lips. And they have watched the testimony of a life. And you and I can fool a lot of people for a long time. Come into this setting and you can fool a lot of people. But you and I will never fool our own children. Because they see us at our best. They see us at our worst. They see us all the time. And they know the reality or lack of reality of the testimony that we have. And Moses was saying to these parents, I'm telling you, he said, if you want to see the blessing of God, if you want it to go well with you and you want to increase mightily, then your children need to see you live the word of God. And that means they need to see that you love God with everything that you are. What are they seeing? Now I want you to know, folks, that's parenting. That's parenting. Parenting is not, oh, we get up and we go to Sunday school every Sunday. Good, you ought to. That's not parenting. little part of it. But parenting is not so much of what we do, where we go, etc. It is primarily and first of all what we are. What we are. Look with me at a couple of other places in the book of Proverbs related to parenting. Look at Proverbs 17 and verse 6. Proverbs 17 and verse 6 begins with this statement. Children's children are the crown of old men. Oh, that's a great verse, isn't it? Isn't it, granddaddies? 
That's a great verse. Children's children are the crown of old men. All granddaddies love their grandchildren. Nothing like it. Second part of the verse. And the glory of children are their fathers. See that? You know what that means? That means that God has built into every young person the tendency to glory or boast in daddy. That's the idea. The glory of children are their fathers. Did you ever hear a little guy talk about his dad? Oh, man, you ought to see my dad. You ought to see my dad shoot a basketball. You ought to see my dad hit a ball. You ought to see my dad run. You ought to see my dad do this. Boy, my dad can do anything. And all the dads know, no, we can't do anything, but that's what little guys think. Why? Because the glory of children are their fathers. Children tend to take their dads and they put them on a pedestal and it's kind of like, my dad, my dad. You know what happens to us dads? We keep falling off the pedestal. We keep falling off. We fail them. We let them down. We ought to be able to say to that, that son or that daughter, hey, listen, follow me. Follow me. I'll lead you to Jesus Christ. I'll show you how to live for him. And there we are on the pedestal, and they're watching. And then we fall off the pedestal. They build up expectations for us, and we fail them time after time after time. Look at Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7. Proverbs 20 and verse 7 says this, The just man walketh in his integrity. Now the term just in the Old Testament would, in the New Testament concept, be the saved man. The just man, the righteous man, the man who knows God. The just man walks in his integrity. The man who is saved walks in the context of honesty and openness and forthrightness. That's his life. That's his testimony. Here's the next statement. His children are blessed after him. Children want to follow their parents. Children want to follow their dad. Now, I realize anytime I talk about dads, that there are people perhaps in the congregation who say, wait a minute, there is no dad in our home. I relate to that because of my own growing up, and there was no dad. One of the great blessings that God gave me, and I say that for any of you who might be in that situation, one of the greatest blessings God gave me when I got saved was that God said that he is the father of the fatherless. And so if by chance you're here and you say, but I've got children and I don't have a dad, you can point them to the Lord. He's a father of the fatherless. Psalm 27 and verse 10 said, When my father or my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. And parents who are in a setting where they don't have a dad in the home, or maybe there's young people here and you say, but I don't have a daddy in my home. Listen, when your father or mother forsake you, God is always there for you. The Lord will take you up. But that truth, when dad is not present, can never become justification for a present dad to ignore his responsibility. And so for the dads who are here tonight, understand this, the just man walks in his integrity. When he does that, his children receive the blessings of that life. His children are blessed 
after him. I'm not sure you can miss. Look at one other text. Proverbs 23 and verse 26. The verse says, My son, I take that as a very personal and tender word. My son, give me thine heart. Give me your heart. That statement comes from a parent who says to his son, his child, you can trust me. Give me your heart. You can trust me. I will be there for you. I'll be there for you in the good times. I'll be there for you in the hard times. Give me your heart. You can rest in that. If you are married tonight, and more deeply in love tonight, I hope, than the day you got married, you can look back to that time when you concluded that he or she was the person for you and your heart was given. And you gave your heart because you could rest in the love of that person. So I gave my heart. That's what this parent is inviting this child to do. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. It's okay. I'm not going to fail you. Now, upon that invitation from a parent to the child, give me your heart, then comes these words. And let thine eyes observe my ways. In other words, again, it is that parent saying this, you can trust me, and as you trust me, watch the way I live. Watch the way I live, because I'm going to teach you how to live. Understand that a great part of parenting is just that, that we say to our child, watch me, watch me, watch the way I live. Let your eyes observe my ways. Because there's going to be hard times for you. But you'll see your daddy go through hard times. And if you'll watch, then you'll learn how to go through the hard times that are going to come your way. Let your eyes observe my ways. Son, if you want to learn how to pray, and you ought to pray, then let your eyes observe my ways, because I'm your daddy, and I'll teach you how to pray. And as a Christian, you ought to study the Bible. But if you'll observe my ways, I'll teach you how to study the Bible. And when there are pressured situations, and you just want to quit, or you want to lose your temper, or whatever it might be, you just let your eyes observe my ways, because I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to not lose your testimony. I'm going to teach you how to stay close to God. And I'm going to teach you how to have a testimony that by the grace of God will last a lifetime. Watch. Now let me ask you something. Who else should they watch if they can't watch us? Where else are they going to learn if they can't learn from us? That's parenting. Now, in the messages to come, we're going to talk more about some of the practical aspects of parenting over the coming weeks. But foundational to parenting is the things that we've touched on tonight. It is, first of all, what 
you are. What you are. And our children have the right, if I may put it that way, if they've got any rights, they've got this one. They have the right to see the reality of Christianity in us.